Good morning. I'm Mark Tallis. I am the managing partner of Tallis & Associates. We're a Lansing accounting firm. Um, I've been in the accounting field since 1981. Uh, I started off working for CPA firms. Um, shortly after got, getting out of school, got married to my wife, Deborah. Moved on to doing consulting work with healthcare professionals. They are notorious for not knowing how to run an office <laughs> or managing uh, their personnel. So did that for a while, got tired of that, decided I'm going out on my own. 1990 was a very stressful year for me. Started the business in January of 1990. My daughter came along in May of 1990. <laughs> Any of you that have been self-employed, you know what that's like with where's the paychecks coming from and oh, your wife doesn't work and oh, the mortgage is there, food's there, and now there's a child. Very intriguing. Um, give you an idea of my life. Um, my wife doesn't know me for four months between January and April 15th. Uh, personally, I prepare approximately 700 tax returns during that time frame. A lot of them are still out there. They're extended. Clients are notorious for waiting till October 15th, but by the end of the year, we do 700 returns by myself. Um, I got my bachelor's degree from Michigan State University in accounting, uh, business administration, majoring in accounting. Uh, I am a member of the Michigan tax and accountants profession in the state here, and I am also, for the past year, a member of the Michigan Income Tax Advisory Group. Basically what that is is a group of right now about five preparers who sit down with the different department heads of Treasury and tell them what they're doing wrong and giving them advice. Um, I've gotten to know Mr. Bonds who is the head of the Income Tax Division and since I'm in Lansing he has requested that we do quarterly luncheons together to talk about problems and where we can help them improve their services. And so that works out really well. I am not a CPA. I am what is classified as an enrolled agent. Does anybody know what an enrolled agent is? All right, I got one. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, we are licensed through the Department of Treasury and not regulated by our own internal board, but Everything runs through IRS, and they are the ones who deal with what we're allowed to do and what not to do. So that's basically a little broad overlap of what I do and what I'm all about. But before we get started, you'll love this one. If, um, one of the things that I got to say is I'm not going to be giving you tax advice or anything along that line. I'm going to give you information today. If you take something home that you think will be worthwhile for your organization, please talk to your local professionals on this. As the old saying goes, you give a thousand accountants a tax return to prepare, you're going to get a thousand different answers. Uh, each one of us has our own way of doing things and our comfort level. So I don't know the facts and circumstances of your individual organizations. So I need you to talk to the people that you work with that do know those actual facts and circumstances so that you're not led astray. All right, we got that out of the way. Cool. Let's go into some of the traps in the tax code. As you know, there was a new tax code that occurred this past year called the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Public gets the tax cuts, the accounts get the jobs. Um, it expanded our business quite a bit based on what they are doing. Um, and so our jobs have expanded. Uh, the need for more accounts has expanded just to keep up with what they're up to. Uh, basically, all of you, as Michelle said, you're under the church's 501c3 status. Nothing to do with a 990. Count your blessings. They are about a 20-page form and they go in circles. I do 990s for clients, and they're a mess. 
Uh, I'll just leave it at that. However, there is the potential for a form needing to be done. It's called 990T, Unrelated Business Taxable Income. The counts are a little backwards because we did an acronym of UBIT. The I and the T are backwards, but it's there. Um, that return is only done when you have a income that is not related to your services. Like I'm not to put my hand in my pocket. There's a recorder there. I'll be knocking it around. Um, so anyway, two things I'm going to go over first. Um, that how it affects the churches under the new tax law, as all of you know, standard deductions went up to twelve thousand and twenty-four thousand, which takes away some of that advantage of charitable giving that out of the 700 returns that I did, very few itemized. Uh, $24,000 and some other requirements that are in there basically are doing away with that whole concept. Personally, I think within four years, itemized deductions will totally be eliminated from the tax returns just that they'll increase the standard deduction. What does that mean for churches? Potentially less giving. Um, on a positive note, my clientele, I didn't see any changes in their giving. Um, and personally, when somebody is giving to a church for tax deduction at 15, 20%, is it truly charitable giving? Um, that's just me and my concept. So, uh, you know, we look at that and say, okay, what's out there and how does that work? Now, for school treasurers, we get a positive for you guys. Under the new tax code, there is a provision for 529 plans. 529 is for college, was for college tuition. The new tax law changed that and added private K through 12 schools. So somebody can put in, you can talk to your neighbor for your child or whomever, you know, parents, grandparents, neighbors, person off the street can fund a 529 plan for their child, put that money into that plan, child starts kindergarten, we've got a fund used towards that tuition. Now, family can put 5000 for a sing excuse me, single person, 10000 for a married couple into a 529. That will sit there and grow until the child needs it. And the one thing I will say is 529s do not affect their federal returns. It will affect the state of Michigan return only. It's a an adjustment on Schedule 1 for the uh, Michigan return only. So, you know, that is a benefit there. Now, if you got questions, feel free to ask as I go through. I'll try to answer them. Yes, sir? Yes. That's an annual maximum. It doesn't matter how many, you know, if you have three kids and you want to do... 529s, max is 5,000. Yes, sir. You said a pre-tax contribution? Or? It pre. It's a, on Michigan only. Uh, basically, the Michigan return starts with the adjusted gross income from the federal. Then there's addition subtractions before you get to the taxable side. It is part of the subtractions on that. Yes, ma'am. It is college and private is the way they've worded it. So parochial, I'm going to say yes. Now, I may be wrong, but that's my attitude on it. Um, any other questions? Okay. How do you set those up? Okay. Uh, you set it up with any investment company or any organization like that. You can... Each state has their own 529, so you can do a national 529. You know, if you Google 529 plan, you're going to get about 10 pages. 
Uh, you look for the investments that you're comfortable with. The other thing that they'll ask you, uh, because I did one for my daughter with her college, is it, they ask, what is the time frame before you start drawing out? Because if you've got eight to ten years before you want to use it, they're going to go into a higher risk of an investment so to get more rate of return for you. If you need it next month, it's going to be in a money market. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you're not going to get a lot of return on that. So that's the other item that you need to look at with that. Uh, but, yes? But just to be clear, potentially you have your kids in a grade school or Up to the five and ten thousand dollars. Yep. Before that was big money. No, you couldn't do that. Yep. You put it into the five. The one drawback to a five twenty nine is if you don't use it for education, and you basically you earmark it for Bobby, Susie, Jane. If they decide a not to go to the academy, b not go to college. Now what do you do? You turn it over. Exactly. You can rename it for another student and use it that way. Uh, but if you decide to cash it in, it's all taxable. And that loses it. Now, the positive side of it is when Bobby goes to school, the distribution shows in his name. It is totally exempt from income taxes, including any earnings on the money. So... A good selling point for the students in the schools to be able to do that and their parents, grandparents. Usually the grandparents are the ones that like to do it because parents, if you do it and it's used into college, that's also considered part of the household resources. So have grandparents do it. It's not part of the resources because the person who invests it is technically the owner. The student is the beneficiary. So, different possibilities there. Yes, sir. Yes. Yep. Yep. You can buy from any state's plan. You can go to a national plan. Whatever you want to do, whatever you see, you're going to get the best return for what you're looking to do. So, all right. One other thing. I just learned this one. This is kind of intriguing. There is, and I'm going to kill the name of it because I've made my own name up. It's the Charitable Required Minimum Distribution. People who are age 70 and a half are required to make required minimum distributions from IRAs. There's a little piece of information in the law that I learned when I was doing the research on this that if that individual writes... It has a check made out from their IRA directly to the church. It is not taxable on their tax return. It is still a charitable donation on their tax return. So sort of a double dip. They don't have to report it as taxable income as part of the distribution, but they still get the statement from the church as being part of their charitable donation. The catch is that it has to be from the third-party administrator. Some third-party administrators will say, well, here, we're going to give you a checkbook to write checks from. That's fine. However, if you are one, if you have members who are the type who, December 30th, they're writing their donation for the year, They've got to do it through the third-party administrator because it has to clear the bank account if they're if the individual's writing the check versus if the third-party administrator is writing the check, it just has to be drafted. So there's a real fine line there that they have to watch. Yes, ma'am. I'm working with, actually it's my sister, uh, her third-party administrator just gave her a checkbook from her IRA. And it's allowed to write checks. She can write checks to her church. And as long as the check clears the bank through her investment account, 
by December 31st, then it's fine. Now, is that, um, how do we see that on a check? Is that the money market one? Is that what's called money market? Sometimes they say money market on them. It's not really, it's going to be more towards the donor's responsibility. Talking to my sister's advisor, he said, look, if she's going to make a check out in December, have her call us. But I mean, on the check, if it just says from Danella, how do I know that? It will probably have on there Danella's IRA account okay. or some, or something along that lines. Um, I'm a little bit surprised with, you know, them wanting the duplication of it, but that sounds like an IRS agent. Anyway, uh, just the way they are. You had a question in the back, sir. Yeah, I guess the question is if, if you go to a system where there's no more standard deductions, or excuse me, I don't know what that means. If you were saying there's no more standard deductions, that double benefit The double benefit will go away, but the benefit of not being part of taxable income will still be there. Sure. Um, you know, it's my crystal ball, which is a little foggy some days. Uh, just the way they're moving, I can see most of my clientele that were under four hundred, five hundred thousand of income didn't itemize. Above that did. And I don't think you're going to hear a lot of screaming from the general taxpaying community if they do away with itemized deductions that are affecting people with half a million and higher in income. It's just not going to Fly too much. Yes, ma'am. So this um, charitable deduction, I know you said you take it after 70 and a half, but could somebody take it after 59 and a half? It's only after you're 70. Only with a required minimum. Okay. That's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Any other questions on that? Well, yes, sir. The other opportunity is if they are able to itemize currently, then it's still classified as a charitable donation, and so they would get the donation factor there also. But that might change the Yeah. Um, not going to be political here, but I think if our current president gets reelected, that you'll probably see one of the first tax laws is going to be doing away with itemized deductions. Just personal opinion there, but... All right. Now I think we'll start going into what everybody wants to hear about, which is the UPIT, un, uh, unrealized business income. It's basically, now I'm going to get, I apologize, a little technical here. It is income derived from an activity that is not directly related to your organization, organization's exempt purpose. Um, basically the best way to think about it is you're doing something that is in direct competition for a trader business that is a non-exempt business. So a couple examples, and I find these intriguing, do a hospital pharmacy that provides medical supplies, prescriptions to hospital patients. That's exempt under the law because that's part of the hospital's exempt uh, program. However, if they sell those medical supplies, medicines to the general public just walking in, that is unrelated business income, and they are subject to tax on that. Um, with the tax law, the corporate tax is now at 21%. And that's what the tax rate for the unrelated business income is also, is 21%. But that's up that, not gross. Um, one that may come into play, and there's ways around this for you, soliciting, selling, and publishing commercial advertising is a trade or business. Now you're probably thinking, what the heck am I talking about? Your... Uh, directory of members, your monthly bulletins. Do you allow businesses to advertise in them? 
that advertising is business advertising. You are selling, soliciting, and publishing commercial ads. That is subject to the unrelated business income. So a couple of issues there that are going to be something that you hit and you need to worry about. But to help understand this, i got to do a couple of definitions. First off is regularly conducted. A business activity of an exempt organization ordinarily are considered regularly conducted if they show a frequency and continuity and are pursued in a matter similar to comparable commercial activities of a non-exempt organization. What does that do? What does that mean besides a lot of jumbled words? It is running a day-to-day, month-to-month, however you want to look at it, and doing it consistently. If you do something one time a year, that's not regular. It doesn't fall under these provisions. If it's more frequently, you've got to look at it. And everything, tax law, comes down to facts and circumstances. And most everything I'm telling you today, and I think you'll agree with me, we can circumvent based on facts and circumstances. You know, I have a warped sense of thinking, and I was I woke up in the middle of the night going, okay, how do we, we've got this UBIT. What do we do about it? Well, you have deductions against it, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And there are certain things that we have to prorate. How do we determine the proration? There's many ways to do that and many ways to offset that potential gross income to get a zero net. So don't, Michelle told me not to scare you all off today. I'm trying not to. I'm trying to give you information. But these are all things that, not done rightly, he's right. That's what you're going to be doing. You're screaming and running away in a hurry. Uh, But, okay, the second definition is substantially related. A business activity is not substantially related to an organization's exempt purpose if it does not contribute importantly to accomplishing that purpose. Unfortunately, the fact that it raises money for you to do your purpose is irrelevant. Um, that yes, oh yes, you um, you know basically what you run into is one of my favorite words: documentation. In a seminar that I attend regularly. Um, you know, I'm warped. I sit in a seminar for two days straight, 16 hours going through tax code. Um, it's about 600 pages that we cover in two days. Uh, yeah, it's a fun seminar. Um, basically what they have, what I have drawn from that is you do documentation, you get an auditor and they look at it. And they disagree with your documentation. It's up to them to prove you wrong. If you have no documentation, they look at it and say, you did it wrong. Now your opportunity next is going to appeals. Which, appeals is fun because appeals, a better name for IRS appeals is, let's make a deal. They want to close cases. The auditors want to generate money. The the appeals department wants to get the case closed and off their desk. So usually you go to appeals. Most everything, unless it's blatantly wrong, will be corrected. Appeals will look at it and say, okay, prove the auditor wrong. You have no documentation how you determined this. So more documentation, the more they've got to prove that you are not following the law. And that's basically where it comes down to. And the mood of the auditor. (laughs) So, um, okay. Okay, let's look at an issue that's going to probably hit all of you. That's dual use of facilities. 
How many of you have a building that you use for non-church activities or non-school activities? And the one I'll scare you with comes off with... um, I'll pick on the schools. I've been picking on churches too much here recently. Um, This is a nice school. It has a pool. They use the pool for educational purposes throughout their school year. Summer comes along, and they decide they're going to use the pool to keep it for the maintenance purposes. They're going to use the pool during the summer to do swim classes. The staff of the school runs the program. They collect the money. They schedule the classes. You think that's related to their educational purposes? has nothing to do with the, the education of the students. It is unrelated income and subject to tax. Um, so, unfortunately, they would have to pay tax on it. Um, I'm going to go back a minute here to the membership directory for a church. If a membership directory lists, excuse me, each member, um, excuse me just a minute here, If we list each member in the same font and just provide their names, addresses, and even their business activity, and we sell it to our members, it's not unrelated. That's that's fine to do. Not a big deal. Now we change it a little bit, like I said earlier, and allow Talison Associates to come in and advertise in it, what I pay for that advertisement or what any other business pays, that is considered unrelated business income. So, yes, ma'am. So the donation. It's promotion. Um, oh, I'm just saying, like, how would you like to donate to what you're doing? Um, and you put a thank you. <laughs> well, the thing that you have with yearbooks, with Monthly newsletters, are you charging so much per line, so much per quarter page, so much half page? If they have the ability to pick and choose the size, then you're going to be looking at the unrelated business. Uh, If it's all, if you have a thank you page that lists every business, same font, same everything, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Is it going to be uh, variable sizes? Yes. My gut reaction is going to be it's not going to be a donation. They're paying based on the size of the ad. If we did everything identical and they they gave $5,000 for a square or somebody gave $50 for that same square, then it wouldn't be an issue. I think it would be if... Yeah, I think you'd be a concern there if it was uh, them deciding. I'll get to you, but... Right. So, what about rental income for, say, weddings for members versus non-members? Can you wait about 10 minutes? Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, just in talking about, like, percentage, you know, so you have, is there a certain amount of percentage of unrelated income that you're allowed to have? I mean, Can I ask you to wait 15 minutes? <laughs> You're right after him on, the, on everything. As I said, I go through the bad, then I'll give you the good on everything. So, yes, ma'am. What if you were doing a fundraiser and you have a suggested cost? How do you... No big deal if they give more or less? I don't think you're going to have a problem. Um, yes, ma'am. My question's on reporting. Are you into that later, too? Or on reporting it? Yeah. Like, say, we have all these little churches, and they're doing something that they think is unrelated business income. Well, they're not even filing a 990, and so we don't even have the facility. What are they supposed to do? Pass it on? I don't know how that works. Just do you, don't do it, is the way I think. Don't well, there's two ways of thinking of this. A, it's at the local level. 
And I refer back to the tax code there. I said it was the Jobs Act. Makes my job a lot more fun uh, because there's going to be more work for our accountants. Um, that these things are done at the local level. And there is a form right now that's out there. It's called a 990T, which is unrelated business income. And it's only, I think, if I read correctly last night, I think it's only like 10 pages instead of 20. Uh, yep, because it's their entity. No running out of the room right now, please. Uh, <laughs> and nobody can quit. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I just want to clarify this because the churches do not have their own 501 They um, are under the conference, and which the conference is also under the general conference. So yep. All these lines. So what would they do at hand? They would do the 990T because they're the entity generating it. Correct. Yep. Um, internal revenue. Right. There's a separate address for it. It's a, you know, basically there, um, and I'm not sure if this is, I think they can be electronically filed with the 990Ts also um, and done that way, but it's it's another tax return that um, I think they're getting a little carried away with taxation, but that's just an accountant's opinion on that one. So, um, on unrelated, twenty-one percent. It's the same as the federal rate for corporations. All right. Since you asked earlier about rent, guess what's up? Um, Okay, church or a school has a building that they buy, decided they're going to plan for expansion, but they turn around and right now don't have enough. They've got a building that's too big for what they need. They turn around and rent that out to another nonprofit or a for-profit business, and they collect rents. We have very strange situation. A for-profit entity paying rent to a non-profit gets to deduct that rent. Under the law, the way it is written, the non-profit, if it's strictly for the rental of part of the building, is not included as unrelated business income. Yeah. <laughs> Rental income for a nonprofit that's strictly for the real property, the building, is not part of unrelated business income. So now, if you're renting a suite that is fully furnished, you have to prorate it because rent on personal assets, desks, fax machines, computers, that is taxable as unrelated business income. So, I don't make these laws up. <laughs> so if you rent your church out, let's say we're, we're a Sabbath uh, Saturday, and a Sunday church rents it out, we have to prorate and pews and... That's part of the building. Okay, so what would be personal property? Depends on how you want to word it. I'm going to scare you. Sound system. Um, are you providing use of dishes for a reception for a wedding? Yeah, what about commercial kitchen? I was going to, you know, potentially there. You know, you've got a lot of what ifs. Now, the kitchen, potentially, that's part of the building. Well, I'll throw a curveball. What about all the dishes and everything that are in there? It's not a fun portion of the law. Personally, commercial kitchen, that's one big entity. And I include all the dishes when I'm doing returns. And it's all real property, not personal. But if you're fully uh, renting out a furnished office area, 
that's when I see you're going to have problems. Everybody's still standing in here. Good. Uh, sure. I've been sent together for many years, and you know, we never did that. We rented property and all these kinds of things. What are the chances? I mean, because I don't want to be here and have to think of everything that we're going to do with the dashboard and say, oh, this, this, and that, and scare people away mm-hmm. and make it so difficult even for the job, you know. I have to do A, B, C, or we are still the checkbook. Too. This can happen now. You need to hire an accountant to do this. Yep. Basically, IRS in general is the only profit making entity for the federal government. And they're one of the largest budget cuts that occurs every year. Their auditing staff, I think, if I remember correctly, four-tenths of 1% of returns get audited. I have been in business for myself 30 years. I have had one nonprofit audit. That was due to a person that received services being upset and filed a complaint uh, because due to some technical difficulties, the business, the nonprofit for one year was not licensed through Internal Revenue as a nonprofit. Some paperwork slipped through the cracks. They corrected it. Just happened to be the same year that this woman went out and looked on the IRS website, and they're not shown as a nonprofit. So she filed a complaint saying, hey, this company is advertising that they're a nonprofit and they're not on your list. Auditor came out. Most audits take four hours minimum. She came into my office, went through our records. She was gone in an hour. So it's... If everything's in line, nonprofit audits are going to be, hey, you need to fix this, uh, or you know, just no changes at all. Um, so don't panic over it. Um, I guess the worst case scenario is they say, okay, you have unrelated business income, you owe us X number of dollars. Um, you know, that's the bottom line of it all. Um, All right. How many of you have, I know one has, uh, looked at anything with the Jobs Act or heard about the parking and uh, fiasco, I guess, parking permit fiasco or uh, mass transit fiasco? Oh, this is going to be fun for you. Congress, and I use this in loose terms, in their ultimate wisdom, decided that if nonprofits allow their employees to take a payroll deduction for paid parking or transit passes, that that is unrelated business income. Other corporations, for-profit corporations, aren't allowed to deduct that anymore. So they thought it was kind of bad to allow nonprofits to be able to offset it. And really doesn't matter to a nonprofit because don't pay tax. So they determined, nope, we're going to change this and make it into a unrelated business income situation with where you have to pay this tax on it. Well, now, you think about it, that sounds like it's more for large cities with where, okay, you have, since I used to drive to Pittsburgh to see my daughter, 8090 toll road that you can do the fast pass to go through the toll gates or you're parking in parking structures next to the church, whatever. Those types of things are what they were looking at. Except it doesn't stop there. It's for employer paid parking 
How many of you have parking lots next to your buildings? How many of your staff uses that parking? And you're paying for all the maintenance. That's paid parking. Yeah! Congratulations! As I said, that's not what they intended. That's what they did. I expect it to be clarified, revoked, but that's what we have today. That's the bad side of it. We'll get to the good side of it in a minute here. But, uh, you know, those are the types of things. I don't, you will find Congress, in their wisdom, passes laws, and there is a senator, I won't mention her name, but about four years ago with a health care act going through, it was stated, well, we have to pass the law so that we know what we passed. What? Yes. I kid you not, that is a quote from her. And I lost all respect for that young lady, except she's older than I am, uh, at that time and manner, because, I'm sorry, if you don't know what you're passing, why are you passing it? Um, so, but, all right. Now I've scared you all. Let's talk about what the 990 entails. 990T, excuse me. First off, first threshold to look at is you must have over a thousand dollars gross income of unrelated business income before you have to worry about the 990t and you notice I said gross not net we're going to get to expenses in just a second but we have to have that to look at it now there are two different types of expenditures that we can offset against that income. First one is what I call directly related. And we'll pick on that staff person who does that um, advertising bulletin every month. And that's all they get paid for. So that payroll and payroll taxes for that person are directly related. It's 100% offset against that income to get expenses. Uh, just like any tax return, income less the expenses. Now, you have other expenses that are unrelated that are, are used both for profit side and the non-profit side. Those we have to prorate. This is where it gets to be fun. I'm going to pick on the parking lot for a minute. How much does a parking lot cost? And you depreciate it over about seven years. So let's just say, I'm going to try to keep this simple for my brain. It's early in the morning still, and it's on a Sunday, and I usually I'm not thinking about tax law on Sundays. Uh, let's just say a $70,000 parking lot. We're going to depreciate it over seven years, so $10,000. You've got 365 days in a year. You have 52 days used for church. You have 280 days used for staff. See where I'm going with this? You got substantially more over here to depreciate, to allocate towards the unrelated business income than you do for the church. And it isn't going to make any difference to the church since it's non-profit. Same with the school. Comes back down to the documentation. Making sure we've got it documented. Making sure that we are justifying how we came up with it. Um, one of my bosses in the past, IRS mandates that you have to have a method how you come up with what you come up with. And one of the best things as an example is when I have a business owner that uses his personal car for business. And you ask him how many miles they drove. And they go, and they're counting the holes in your ceiling. Oh, about the same as last year. 
Okay. No, that's not a method. Oh, I drove 7,000. Mark does not like round numbers. So I have adopted the policy of one of my old bosses. IRS mandates that I have a method of how we determine mileage or business use. You take what they told you, and you look at the last digits of their social number. <laughs> and you have a non-round number normally. Just don't use it every year. <laughs> I haven't had anybody yell at me yet, but I haven't had it checked yet either. So, But you know, basically, it's up to you and your organization how you determine that portion that's business versus the nonprofit status. Document it. I can't stress documentation enough. You walk in with documentation to, to a potential audit, and, and you walk in with the documentation, and they're like, oh, crap. And the organization I belong to, we did an experiment with state of the state, or excuse me, the federal auditors in the state of Michigan. They give you a list of usually 30 things that they want. We went through the first five and just had more documentation than anybody wanted to look at. The last 15, nothing. By the time you get to the fifth one and you start handing them these three-inch binders of documentation, you get to the sixth one. Do you have documentation? Yep. Okay, let's go to the next one. <laughs> they don't even look. So the documentation is going to be the ultimate for you guys with this whole program, making sure that you've got that. Um, other than that, you know, you're at the mercy of that auditor. Um and what their mood is, make sure to offer them coffee. <laughs> yes? So how do you determine the income related to what she's reflecting on? Is it saying you, whatever your depreciation is, thank you, that's your... I would pro... Would charge, you would well, you would have to figure out in each community. Again, this is all relative. What is paid parking going for? I know in Lansing, it's I can go downtown Lansing, get a monthly parking pass. I think it's about $100 a month. Um, another thriving community, hopefully none of you know where it's at, Hanover. Um, it's where my family has a summer cottage. Uh, you don't blink because you miss the city or the, town, the little community, because there's no traffic lights. I think there's one stop sign. Um, it's going to be substantially less. So if from this whole standpoint, you look at it and say, okay, here's what we have determined this parking is worth. Here's what our depreciation is. Oh, darn, they balance out to zero. Oh, well. And make and your improvements? Yeah. Well, you're paying for the parking, not the landscaping. So if you're going to restripe the lot or if you're seal coating it, that's going to be part of those expenses that you prorate it. Now, mm -hmm. maintaining it. Uh, basically, now that we've gone through this, what's the chances of getting audited on this? Slim and none. But you get somebody coming in. You know, IRS auditors, it's disgusting, I have to put it this way, they are reviewed by what they find. The more problems that they find, the more revenue they bring in, the better their rating and the better for their promotion. If they do an audit and it's a no-change audit, they get criticized for why did you bother going out there. You just wasted 10 hours of time, prep work and everything. They're going to find something. That's just a matter of the way it is. And that's why I said earlier, you don't want to be afraid of appeals because the auditor is going to find something. And I've gone through audits with where they found $120,000 
of taxes owed because of the way she did things. I went to appeals, and by the way, the taxpayer did owe the money that we settled for. I walked out of appeals at $12,000. The client really PO'd the auditor. I will. Do you let clients go to audits with you? My one mistake. I let one go. She spent four hours in front of the auditor going, I don't know why I'm here. I did nothing wrong. This is stupid and a waste of time. I kid you not. The auditor was disallowing. This lady was an attorney, criminal defense attorney. She had been reprimanded by judges more than once in a year because of her mouth. Thank you. The auditor got so tired of her. In Lansing, the one court building has no parking lot. You have to pay a meter. The auditor was disallowing the 35 cents an hour for uh, for the parking because she had no receipt. Yeah. Needless to say, we got some of those things changed, but that's the things that you have to look into. All right. One other thing. I'm going to be quick on this one. Um, there is, at the state of Michigan level, with the attorney general, you have a solicitation license. You guys are exempt from it. However, there is a form O3. Let me get the exact name here. It's called the CTS 03. It's from the Attorney General's office. And this is going, don't laugh too loud. This form is, Attorney General, we're exempt from having to file for a solicitation license. And Basically, when you're raising funds other than charitable donations and you receive over 25000 you need to file for this. Basically, it registers you with the state. They know you exist, but you don't have to do anything. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.